It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to the Golf Under Par podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough. I am happy that you are all here today. And we have a continuation of our compilation post from last week where we had a mindset gurus on. Right? And we were listening to some of those that we've interviewed over the past year and helping us all understand the importance of mindset. And in this week's, we talk a lot more about getting in the zone. Okay? And how how we can do that and what that means and and what's the best way to fluidly get into that position uh, in that zone every single time on the course but before we get into that i wanted to personally thank you for choosing the gup i know there's a lot of other golf podcasts out there and you have chosen to listen to me on this podcast and it means a lot to me so i've got a favor for you if you find the gup remotely helpful then please let me know by leaving a five-star review on your preferred streaming service. Not only does this let me know that you care about the information that I provide, but it also gets this out to other people in which we can help other golfers, just like yourself, golf under par. You may not know this, or maybe you do, but I'm a one-man show. I do all the work on this show. I have to do it every single day more like every single week find the guests i have to get the interviews i have to write questions and i'm the one that listens to the podcast afterwards and makes any edits that are necessary i'm the one that disseminates it on the uh, on social media so if you take all that into account it adds up to a, a decent amount of amount of work and time and i'm a physical therapist doing this on the side so any support is appreciated uh, to keep me going here all right Definitely had rough times just like everybody else with the ups and downs of life. So getting any kind of support in, in those lines is always grateful and helpful to get that. And the best way to do that is a five-star review on your streaming service of choice or joining the Golf Fitness Tips Facebook group where we can interact and you can get more tips from me on training and injuries in that Facebook group. That's all I wanted to bring up at this point. So thank you guys again for listening. Enjoy the episode. Our first snippet is from Stephen Yellen, which is in episode 49. And he dives into the laws and principles of being able to get into the zone. The importance of getting that mindset right and improving our ability to achieve the zone or that optimal performance without further ado here's Stephen yellen episode 49 the arena from which zone experiences are generated from is an extremely delicate subtle arena it has its own laws of motion it has its own nuances and unless you respect and honor and pay homage to those laws of motion, 
to those nuances, you will be humbled in a second. So I had to, I had to uh, investigate, understand, and come up with a program that allowed someone to be aligned with those laws of motion. And it's not just uh, for golf. Uh, my program, Fluid Motion Factor, has been taught in 12 sports because the body doesn't care what motion you're producing, whether it's a uh, uh, you know, uh, a drive uh, in golf, uh, shooting a basket in basketball, throwing a curveball, hitting a serve, um, going for a goal in soccer. Fluid motion is produced identically in every single sport. It doesn't matter if you're a beginning golfer or you're a tour, tour professional, you're going to produce a fluid swing using the same processes. You know, golf is all about motion. Motion is all about the muscles. Where's the operating system the system of the muscles? Well, it's in the brain physiology. So when a beginning golfer is able to get a, a, a ball airborne, they are accessing very specific processes in the mind. When a PGA professional is able to hit a solid drive or hit the green with his iron or even sink a putt, this, it's the same processes in the mind. Obviously, it's on a, a higher skill level. But if you went to a cardiologist in uh, Virginia Beach, or you went to a cardiologist in Sydney, Australia, the cardiologist is going to explain how the heart works. You don't have an Australian heart and you have a Virginia heart, right? Right, right. This, this is neurophysiology. So um, the processes in, in the brain that produce fluid motion for a beginning golfer are identical to the processes in the mind that produce fluid motion for Patrick Reed, who just won at Torrey Pines yesterday. It's the same processes. Uh, thought during the swing, the swing is only one, about 1.5 seconds, but when you generate an intention during the swing from the surface level of the mind, you only have access to the surface level intelligence of the body. You only have access to the core bulkier muscles of the body. But the way the whole thing is set up, and certainly it wasn't set up by me, <laughs> is that when you generate an intention from a softer, quieter level of the mind, you have no choice but to access the deeper, more intelligent levels of the body. So when someone is playing really well, and let's, not, let's go away from beginning golfers, let's even talk about professional golfers, okay? When someone is playing really well, they, for whatever reason, they didn't have to understand these dynamics. It doesn't matter if you understand it. The laws of nature are not dependent on human belief. Is that when they're playing really well, they're generating the intentions during the swing. I'm only talking about the 1.5 seconds. I'm not talking about before or after. They're generating the intentions uh, during the swing from a very quiet, soft level of the mind. Therefore, the body is free to do what it knows best. It can act, it's accessing the deeper levels of intelligence of the body. But when that same player goes out who shot a 65 on Thursday in a PGA tournament and shoots a 73, the same player, yeah. for whatever reason, maybe he hit 10 or 12 fairways or 14 fairways on Thursday, and he ends up hitting three or four fairways on Friday, that same player is generating intentions from a surface level of the mind. So he only has access to the surface level of intelligence of the body. So the mind was designed 
to generate a golf swing from a quieter, softer level of the mind. It was not designed to generate a golf swing from the surface level of the mind. And let me just uh, interject here a little bit of brain uh, neurophysiology is that in order to generate a motion, any motion, whether it's walking across the street or you're hitting a golf ball, you have to generate a signal and intention in the mind or else the club's not gonna move. Now there are two parts of the brain that are really interesting in producing motion. One is the prefrontal cortex, which is the front of the frontal part of the brain, which uh, oversees all processes in the brain, which is called the CEO of the brain. And, um, and it's essentially the discriminating intellect. When you're thinking a lot, it's the PFC that's thinking. And the other part of the, of the brain is the motor system. Now, when that player who shot a 65 on Thursday, during his swing, the majority of his swing, swings during the 1.5 seconds it takes to generate a swing, the signal bypassed the prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex or the intellect went offline and the signal uh, went right to the motor system. And it's the motor system which communicates with the body to produce motion. Now, when that same player shot, uh, shot a 73 on Friday, for the majority of his swings during the motion, the prefrontal cortex or the intellect went online. And then it delayed that signal moving seamless, seamlessly and effortlessly to the motor system. And then in the middle of the motion, the body is looking for direction from the mind. There's too many processes going on. And that's when the bulkier core muscles dominate the motion. And that's when he can't square the club. That's when he is coming over the top. That's when he can't release or he's guiding the ball and he can't find the slot. There could be numerous mechanical um, problems that happen during the swing, but essentially the origin of that is that the prefrontal cortex or the intellect uh, went online. I really like Stephen's discussion there with regards to the brain and, and being an analytical mind and you know, we've all been in that situation where we're really trying to think through all these different things as we're as we're playing a round of golf. And the more we kind of get out of our own way, the better we tend to play. At least that's my personal experience. And I'm sure most of you have seen that as well. And I just really liked how he, he described that and helping us understand that the analytical mind hinders fluid movement and, and being in the zone. So we want to get out of that as much as possible and make it as almost like muscle memory for us as possible and not not constantly thinking about the ins and outs. I like this next conversation that we have here with Jeff Gregg from episode 55. And he dives in a little bit more about this with regards to the brain and how to respond and, and the different cues and triggers that we can used to help us get adequately focused and in the present uh, so that we aren't analytically thinking about all this and having to consciously do this. And I really like his discussion and, and slightly a different outlook on, on this similar topic. Here you are, Jeff Gregg. Episode 55. The, the stronger your mind is, the more, or the, the stronger your mental strength is, the more you have trust that you can do what you want to do. And that allows you 
to turn down the dial of distractions, as it were. So as an athlete, there's two states. There's focused and there's distracted. The stronger you are mentally, the more ability you have to stay focused, no matter what level the distractions are, whether that's pressure or emotions or thoughts. So training it is... Uh, and this is where things have gotten really, really fun for us. Training, it used to be kind of gray areas, right? You, you had to do the warm fuzzy of, well, what emotion am I feeling and what I do with that emotion? Well, now we actually know that there's a very specific brainwave frequency where your focus is the strongest. And we have devices where we can, I actually work with golfers with a EEG monitoring band on their head so I can show them what their brainwaves are doing. So the, there's science behind what your focus should feel like without going into a brainwave science diatribe, which I love to do, so we have to be careful with that, but basically the lower your brainwaves are and you're still conscious, the better you perform. So in your brainwave frequencies, as you have more thoughts and more emotions, your brainwave frequency goes up. As you are more present and more calm and you're more in your senses, your brainwave frequency goes down. So the, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about this in a couple minutes here, but the peak of athletic performance is being in the zone and the zone is at a brainwave frequency that's very close to being in your subconscious as opposed to being conscious. Like anything, it's, it's a balancing act. So at any point in time, you have all of your brainwave frequencies are working, but it's which one that's dominant, right? Okay. So just because you are um, in the zone, which is on the border of alpha and theta, no pop quizzes there, okay? Um, your brain, your beta brainwave frequencies are still working. There are still, uh, excuse me, there are still some gamma waves going on. And actually when you're in the deepest part of the zone, gamma waves are the highest brainwave frequencies, but they're also the only frequencies where all parts of your brain are working together. So you get some new neural patterns. And again, we don't have to get too much into the science, but Basically, you're never going to be just using one brainwave frequency. All of them are happening. What I'm helping athletes to do is learn to recognize when the correct ones are dominant so that they can do that more often. Yeah. So the, the two key words are cues and triggers. So the cues are what help you access the correct place. Uh, sorry, the cues are what let you know when you're in the right place. The triggers are what help you access it. So First thing we want to, first thing I do with an athlete is help them recognize the cues of bad brainwave frequencies for performance and good brainwave frequencies for, for, for performance. So when they're on their own, they can be paying attention to that and starting to groove the right things. They're looking for the right signals. And then we look for each person's personal triggers. So there are some universal triggers for getting in the zone and getting better brainwave frequencies, but there are some that are different from person to person and sport to sport. The big picture triggers are really being able to be present in the moment is number one. And then having the correct skill to challenge ratio is number two. So presence, what it does is when you're present and presence means that you have to be fully in your sensory systems of your brain. So your eyes, your ears, your proprioception of spatial awareness, your kinesthetic feel in your body. As soon as you start thinking or you start getting into emotions, then your brain waves go to a bad place. So you can't be in the zone and have any thoughts. You can't be in the zone and have any emotions. So we know that one of the biggest triggers is just 
doing exercises. And this is one where it varies a lot from athlete to athlete. Some of my athletes, we have some really simple breathing exercises and they can start to access presence super quickly. And others, they need to combine it more with movement because their brainwave bias tends to be more towards thoughts or emotions. In other words, they spend a lot of time thinking and being emotional, like a Jordan Speeth, if you watch. So if you think about it, Dustin Johnson is a low brainwave bias guy, okay? He does not have trouble being calm. He has trouble focusing sharply at the right moment, which is why he'll make some mental mistakes. Jordan Spieth is a high brainwave bias guy. So he's very, very focused. He knows exactly all the different things he wants to do and he filters everything out and he analyzes out, but he has trouble getting calm at the right time, right? So knowing those basic bias helps me as a coach to be able to have people go, okay, well, in your daily training, here's what you need to do. You need to figure out what are the things I need to do to calm down a little bit, or what are the things I need to do to bring my focus up a little bit. All right, Jeff, just lays it out there for you about controlling your emotions and really lowering the brain waves, as he puts it there, to help us to perform optimally. And Jeff, goes on and gives a lot of great tips and particular about triggers and cues and how you can kind of figure out which aspect you need to to focus on in order to be more present or more focused in in your own game uh, he kind of walks walks me through it during the episode but gives enough details for all of you to kind of go through that same thing to help figure that out so go check out episode 50 five with jeff greg uh, that's g-e-o-f-f all right so as in jeff and this next one is with rick sessenhaus and that's episode 64 and in this episode he gives us a lot of great tips for preparation which is going to help us not only get into the zone better but also to manage our expectations slash the pressure of an event and so he dives into what that means and how that helps us get into the zone and and how repeatedly doing the same things over and over again whether that's in in your preparation for a round or practice or uh, going through your routine before a shot, those kinds of things, getting in this repetitive, repetitive thing so that it becomes it almost like muscle memory to me is what, what I, I called it as. It's just habit, I guess, is the better way of saying it. So, again, Rick Sussenhaus, episode 64. Here you go. You know, I work with a lot of very, very good players, uh, junior golfers, college golfers, professional and it's a pet peeve of mine when somebody says this is a more important event than last week. Um, I'm looking at it as every single day is an opportunity to play great golf. You might as well just keep doing the same thing. So I, that's my overarching kind of principle. Why, why try less on one week and try harder on another week? To me, that's creating bad habits anyways. Um, but back to like preparation is there's things in the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday that we do to sharpen his focus um, get his plan ready to go. We, we do some games uh, with short game. We have things with, we understand his numbers through TrackMan. 
Uh, and I'm, what I mean by numbers, it's distances, not path numbers or club face numbers. We're not into that. We're into, okay, how far is the ball flying? We know that. Check. Boom. Uh, we know on this fourth hole, we're going to hit three wood instead of driver. If the wind's here, check. Boom. The preparation stays the same with the same intensity. Uh, that way you can go to that Thursday first round and feel the same. We work so hard on the range to get this perfect swing, to get this ball to do what we want it to do. And there's a very cause and effect relationship. The club face tells the ball what to do. And then we, but there's a mindset and a state that we're in as we're swinging it that I think is as important. And so how are we training that state? And, and I call it a flow state or some people call it zone is all of the golfers that are listening, you've played, I don't care if it's three holes, nine holes or 18, you've played a great round of golf going, man, that was easy, man. I was focused. It was relaxed. It was calm. You've tapped into that. From a mindset perspective, I believe that's trainable, okay? Mm -hmm. And some of that is trainable that flow follows focus. What am I paying attention to in this moment? Most people are distracted. They're either thinking about the future or they're still beating themselves up of the past. And they're not paying attention to what's relevant. Um, Asking questions is, I believe, a tool and a skill. So a question could be, how is this lie going to affect this ball flight? Where's the wind coming from? How firm is this green? Um, what is the slope playing right now? Those are all present-based questions. And you ask enough of them, you'll have a, probably a pretty clear understanding of the present shot. Most people say they have a pre-shot routine and it looks like one practice swing, get into it and hit. But I ask them about, there's a mental component to this about making decisions and focusing on what's relevant and visualizing a successful shot. And they go, oh, I kind of do that sometimes. I go, how is that a routine then? Okay. So I'm not saying you have to do exactly like Colin or some of my other great players. You need to find out when you're playing your best, what are you doing in that pre-shot routine? And you do need to pay attention to the relevant information. You do need to analyze it. You do need to play to your strengths. You want to see a great shot. Maybe a practice swing is important to feel it, but we want to be fully committed to that shot. That's the mindset part of this. Are you committed to the shot? It's a yes or no, not a maybe. Okay. If you're committed, then great. As a mindset coach, I've done my job. Awesome. Yeah. And if the ball doesn't go where you want it to go, it's a physical thing. Okay. Then the swing coach hat comes on with me to understand what's the cause and effect of what that ball does. But if I'm frustrated, if I have doubt, if I have fear over the ball, I guarantee your golf swing will be different than when you're confident and calm. So I got to get the state to be where we want it before you pull the club back. That's the mindset part of it. Okay. Routines are a great way to do that. Ask better questions. It doesn't mean the pre-shot routine has to take a long time, by the way. My routine is probably quite short because I played so much golf. I can look at the scenario real quickly, make a decision and go. It's just making sure you're focusing for 20, 30 seconds and not being still beating ourselves up for the three putt we just had, or, Oh, three holes from now is reachable par five. Maybe I'll get a birdie there. That's irrelevant to the present shot. So focus, is a key part of this flow state um, is trainable in life. So when we want things in life to have that sense of peak performance, it still requires us to be focused in life. It requires us to be focused behind the wheel uh, of a car. It, it, it's focused in our work. It's a focused in how I communicate to my family. That's all attention in the present moment. That's yeah. a skill. And in this day and age where we have our smartphones and everything that are distract, 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 you bringing yourself back to the present moment is a superpower. 
Okay. So that is something that we want to do intentionally as we wake up is what am I focusing on for this next 30 minutes block of time? It could be, a, you know, prepping something for business. It could be having breakfast with your kids. Being present is the skill. So then that can bleed into the golf course, obviously. We're very distracted on that. So there are ways through mindfulness, uh, meditation, gratitude journals. Um, there's things that we can do to pay more attention to what we're thinking, what we're feeling, but there's an intention behind it. I am going to be focused on this next five minutes uh, spot. So each shot is, is unique and you always ask present-based questions first that is about um, gathering data, right? So that's part of awareness. Awareness is a broad external focus. I am paying attention to my lie, the wind, the slope, the firmness of the green, hole location, hazards, all of that's relevant information. And then I'm asking questions, as I, I mentioned before, is how is this lie potentially going to affect ball flight? I have a lot of people say, tell me about this lie. And they say, it's a bad lie. I go, why? That's irrelevant. <laughs> the ball's sitting down in a divot. Tell me what you're going to do about it. Yeah. But they want to keep complaining about it's in a divot. I say, deal with it. Am I going to put ball back in stance? Is the ball going to come out low? Is it those questions now get me more problem solving than opinion and judgmental and those type of things. So ask enough of the questions of aware of your environment first, then you're analyzing it based on your strengths, everybody, not what Colin does with the seven iron, but what you do with the seven iron, know your strengths, know your patterns of shots. And that helps you pick the appropriate target line, the appropriate club. And then we certainly can ask questions like what does a good shot look like here? Uh, which is a visualization-based uh, question. And then for some people, what does a good shot feel like here where a practice swing could be a key part of their pre-shot routine? But ultimately, when we're over the ball, we would want to be back engaged to our target and having a clear intention of what we want. And then that becomes my program to, to go and, and get it. Some mental game coaches think mental game is about not thinking. Right. There's a lot of thinking going on out there. It's when you turn it off that is actually the what they're trying to address is that you don't think when you're executing. Well, that happens in a second and a half. I think there's a lot of thinking that happens beforehand that is relevant, that is important in golf, decision-making and strategy and those type of things. Um, so I don't gloss it over and say you shouldn't be thinking on the golf course. In fact, how you think is going to be important. And then you have so full a commitment of what you want that you can now be an athlete and react to a target that would be ideal. I really enjoy Rick's comments here because asking questions puts you in the right frame of mind, whereas so often we're striving to just kind of get that clean slate, that blank blank slate like we hear so often you know, with through meditation and whatnot. And it's his approach to kind of realize that's a very short period of time that we need that for optimal flow state or being in the zone. But it's using these questions that are pertinent to the situation that pulls you into the presence and gets you to focus uh, and then allows that aspect to take a higher importance in your swing during your round so that you can be more in the zone and be more in that flow state and not have to to think about all the extraneous things because you've used these questions to 
center yourself and get yourself prepared. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you guys want any more of the information from these gentlemen, uh, first gentleman that we heard from was Stephen Yellen from episode 49. Then we had Jeff Gregg from episode 55. Again, his name is spelled G-E-O-F-F-G-R-E-I-G. So it's a little bit of a weird pronounce or spelling there, but it's pronounced Jeff Gregg. So, and the last one is Rick Sessenhouse. And you can find him on episode 64. That is it for this episode of the Golf Under Par podcast. Check out the show notes for links to the episodes and more information regarding what's going on in the the GUP world. If you guys haven't done so already, check out the Golf Fitness Tips Facebook group where I share tips on training and injuries and answer questions from, from you guys so that you can get what you're looking for and get the answers you're looking for because I know how crazy uh, uh, the information is out there and all you can find on on the interwebs and on the Google. So join that up. Ask me, ask me any questions there and I will catch you next time on the GUP. Thank you for listening. And remember, simple consistency leads to greatness. Take care.